And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your worship today. And uh, this is a great looking crowd for <laughs> nine o'clock on a, on a gloomy, rainy morning. And uh, it would have been, how many people were tempted to sleep in this morning? Probably a few. So I'm glad you overcame temptation first win of the day, right? To be here in the house of God and not slept in, all right? Well, listen, before we jump into the message this morning, I've got a couple of very important announcements that I want to bring to your attention that are important to the life of our church family. First of all, everybody be aware that the next two Sundays, we're only going to have one service. It's going to be at 10 o'clock the next two weeks, okay? Traditionally, in our church family, the next two Sundays are the two lowest attended Sundays of the year. And I get it. Everybody's out. Everybody's traveling. Uh, you're doing Christmas. And so instead of trying to do two services with people spread out over two services and our team covering that, we said it just makes sense to do one service to, uh, to pack everybody in who wants to come over the next two weeks. And that's what we're going to do. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have a candlelight service on the other side of Christmas. That's going to be a special morning that we have together. And then the first Sunday of the new year, January 2nd, we'll have only one service. Now, next Sunday, no kids city, everybody in here together, and the nursery will be open. And then on Sunday the 2nd, Kids City will be back open, nursery always open, and we'll enjoy coming together to, uh, to worship, okay? Um, one other thing I want to mention to you this morning, and this isn't quite as pleasant, and this is something that I have been putting off talking about for six months, but here we are, and we're going to talk about it today on the uh, Sunday before Christmas, something that brings joy to everybody. And that is to talk a little bit about our worship decorum here in this room. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but over the last six months or so, it has become the norm for multiple people, not just one person, but multiple people to go in and out all throughout the service. And so I have made this speech in my car multiple times for six months. I'm finally making it to you today, and there's no exaggeration. The staff will tell you, Tress will tell you, I've been putting this off, but I want to ask you to help us with this. Um, I realize that our approach to church here is casual. We dress casually. We allow you to bring coffee into the worship center. We don't police a lot of things around here. But I'm afraid that sometimes we can have a casual approach to our time in this room on Sunday mornings. This room and what we do in here is different than anything you do all week. This isn't a classroom. This isn't a business meeting. This isn't a ball game. This isn't a movie theater. You're not an audience, and we're not performers. And if we could get that, then it would probably change all of it. We come together for an audience of one. And you never know who's in this room every week. Some people are here every week, and they've known Jesus as long as they've been born. There's some people who are coming in with a boatload of cares and worries and stuff. And there's people who are coming in, and they're giving God and the church one more shot. 
so pastor, is it that important? Absolutely. Because we're, would you agree that as a culture we're easily distracted? Are you easily distracted? And see, I see it every week. And when people are moving in and out during the message, it's just a distraction. We're not a small church, and, uh, but we're not a large church. And when we run a 1,000 here in a few years, Lord willing, let it happen, Lord. Let us reach our community. Then we'll have a big room and people could slip out and it probably wouldn't be as a big a deal. But in a room this size, you're going to notice when people walk out and it distracts me and it distracts you. So help us with that, okay? Use the restroom before you come in. Coffee bars close when, when church starts. If you have kids, put them in Kids City. I mean, we've got the best kids pastors and kids department anywhere. Why wouldn't you want to put them in there? You know, I understand sometimes when you got newborns, you're trying to work that out. I get that. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just asking us all to do a better job in this, and I think it'll make a big difference in our worship time together. Is that okay? Now, listen. Thank you. I, I don't make any apologies about how we do church around here. We're not going to sing for 15 minutes, and I'm not going to preach for 15 minutes. If that's the church you're looking for, there's other churches. We come together once a week as a body, and we're going to get after it. We're going to worship. We're going to get in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to preach, and we're going to spend time together at the end of the service responding to what God has to say to us. And I don't make any apologies for that. I never try to be long just to be long. But part of being spirit-filled and Pentecostal is following the move of the Spirit and not being in a box. So whatever the Lord wants to do, I'm open for that. And I appreciate that you are too. So thank you for responding well. And now everybody has to go to the bathroom, right, with that announcement. I get it, all right? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we've been the last few weeks in this series called The Word Became Flesh. So look with me this morning in John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness testifying concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him. Anybody in the house today? 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. And here's our key text for the series. Read it with me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's hard to believe, but we're less than a week from Christmas. A week from today, it'll all be over, right? Another one in the books. How many people are ready for Christmas? Okay, got your shopping done, got the ham already in the fridge, you're ready to go. How many are like, Christmas is next Saturday, what? You know, it's, it just hit you, okay? We're kind of in all places when it comes to that. How many of you would say you're in the Christmas spirit? Okay, you got, got the Christmas, okay, good, good, all right? If you're not, we do a lot of things around here all month long, as you've seen, to try to help you engage and get in the Christmas spirit tonight at 6 o'clock, one of the best things we do all year, we're going to have a night of worship here. We're going to sing some carols together. It's a very intimate uh, time, just spending time with the Lord and having communion. And I would encourage you to be here if you're not in the Christmas spirit yet. But i got to admit that I don't know how you felt yesterday, but I was a little grumpy yesterday. Because 80 degrees and high humidity does not make me want to sing Jingle Bell Rock, okay? It just is a little irritating. I, I got to be honest. And I, and I went off a little bit yesterday, and it just doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you just feel like you got to get it off your chest, and it doesn't matter to anything, you know? It's just what it is, right, living in the South. And Somebody may have been thinking as we've been going through this series the last few weeks, well, it doesn't feel like Christmas outside, and it really, Pastor, doesn't feel much like Christmas inside because you're not talking about the Christmas story. We've not talked about the stories found in Matthew and the stories found in Luke. We've landed in John over the last few weeks, and instead of talking about Jesus' birth story, we've been talking about his origin story. The first week, we really unpack the first few words of verse 14 where John says the word became flesh. And this is what we said the first week. We said what that means is that in Jesus we have a God that we can see, hear, and touch. Jesus became the Father's representative. The word became flesh. Then last week we looked at the next part of that word, that verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And last week we said that what that means is that God moved into the neighborhood. It means literally the scriptural, we said last week, means that Jesus pitched a tent. His body moved into the neighborhood and physically God was here in the person of Jesus. And now, presently, Jesus, Jesus lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. The very next thing that John tells us, okay, it's like he's talking to make a point. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So follow me. John is saying, as a result of God in a bod, as a result of Jesus becoming the living, walking, breathing tabernacle, we 
have seen his glory. He's saying, I'm on the witness stand, my hands raised, and I declare to you that we have seen the glory of God. Now, remember, this is 14 verses into a 21-chapter book that I think is about the, one of the best ones in the whole Bible, the book of John. So he's setting up. He, John's a, a, a marvelous storyteller. He's setting up what he wants us to know by telling us we have seen his glory. Now, all week long I've been trying to wrap my brain around this word glory because this word glory is a churchy word, okay, it's a word that, that we use a lot. It, we, we sing the word glory a lot, don't we? We read the word glory a lot in our scripture. Sometimes growing up, you know, talk about growing up in, in spirit-filled Pentecost churches, you ever had that person in the back who says, well, glory, glory to God. You know, that, that glory is a part of, of, of what we say, but, but I got to thinking, what really does that word mean? And the best definition I thought that to share with you this week, there's a lot of them, is really this. God's glory is the external manifestation of his being. Now wrap your brain around that this morning. If you get it, you'll get the rest of where we're going. God's glory is the external manifestation of his being. It's something that appears, is revealed, and can be seen. Now if you've been tracking in this series, that last sentence on the screen sounds a lot like what John said in 1 John chapter 1, that Jesus was God in the flesh. He appeared, he was revealed, and he has been seen, right? So the glory of God is God's external manifestation, something we can see. And I mentioned a few minutes ago that tonight we're going to have this night of worship as an opportunity just to kind of connect us and have time to really focus on what God's doing and what this season is all about. And another thing we've been doing throughout this, this uh, month is we've been reading together. We've had these 25 days of, of Christmas, and a lot of you have been reading along with us. And if you've been reading with us this week, we have read the Christmas story together. We've read Luke's account and finished up this morning reading Matthew's account. And something stuck out to me this week as I was reading that, and it was this. It's that God's glory, the external manifestation of his being, is found all over the Christmas story. Watch this. And, and we said that John said, we have seen his glory. So let's say if we interviewed eyewitness testimonies of the Christmas story, here's what we'd hear. In Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Zechariah, and he sees the glory of God when he gets the news that him and Elizabeth in their old age are going to have a son, and he's going to be John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, the glory of God appears in the form of an angel that appears to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother of the Most High, a son who will save his people from their sins, named Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph, and the glory of, the, of, of God uh, is displayed to him and tells him, look, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 2, a group of angels appear to the shepherds, and, and they sing glory to God. Remember this? And, and then that, that causes them to go visit the manger. And then in Matthew chapter 2, our reading for today, we learn that a few years later, magi, wise men, come to visit Jesus, and the glory of God appears to them in the form of an angel that tells them to change their plans. We 
John says, have seen his glory. These people on the screen would say, we have seen his glory. Okay, you with me? Now let's go back to John, okay? John, in his gospel, as he writes 21 chapters, he does an incredible job of telling us some stories about Jesus that not everybody else gets to. He shares a lot of teaching about Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't get to. And John gives us the most extensive information about the last week of the life of Jesus. But here's something very interesting about how John tells his stories. John specifically tells us seven miracles that God performed. And it's not a coincidence that John opens up and says, we have seen his glory, and then shares seven specific miracles where the glory of God was displayed through the works of Jesus. Watch this. John chapter 2. John testifies of these things. Water changed into wine. John chapter 4, the healing of the official son. John chapter 5, the healing of the paralytic. John chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, Jesus walking on the water. John chapter 9, the healing of a man born blind. And John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus, okay? John says, we have seen his glory, and here are some examples of how we have seen his glory. He is telling, his his storytelling is very intentional. He wants you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And John bookends this, okay? Because he opens up with this in John 1.14, and watch how he closes his book. In John chapter 20, Verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I couldn't even write them all down, he says. But these are written, the ones I gave you, here's why I wrote them. Watch. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and not that you'll just believe but that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you see that? Okay? You tracking with me? Beginning of the book, he says, we have seen his glory. The end of the book, he says, okay, this is, this is why I've told you all this, because I want you to, to believe, but I also want you to have life in his name. But here's the thing about all of these encounters with the glory of God, if you, if you notice them all individually, they all have one thing in common. Every person who has an encounter with the glory of God leaves changed. They're not the same after they encounter God. Now let's go back to our story, our Christmas story, okay? Watch this. We have seen his glory with Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men would all say. But what changed in them as a result of seeing his glory? In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's perspective was changed. He had disbelief that he could even have a son 
in his old age, but his perspective was changed from disbelief to an unshakable faith. In Luke chapter 1, Mary's future was changed. Her life was going to be a normal, regular life of an Israelite girl, but now she is the mother of the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 7, Joseph's, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph's mind was changed because he said, I'm going to divorce her quietly and ease out because she's pregnant and that's not mine. That makes sense, right? Every guy in the room would be like, I'm out. But he has an encounter with an angel and the glory of God and his mind is changed and now this man's whole goal in life is to protect this woman and this baby. Watch this. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2. The shepherd's purpose was changed. The angels appeared to them. The glory of, the God, of God shone round about them. And these men go from blue-collar herdsmen to white-collar evangelist. They leave the manger and tell everybody what they've seen. And then the Magi, even these guys have a supernatural encounter. They're just following a star. They go to meet Herod. Herod says, you report back to me what you find. They find it. They're on their way back to Herod. And an angel appears to them and says, go home another way. Don't go back to Herod. And for them, their direction was changed. What about these stories that John shared? So John, again, gives us seven miracles of Jesus, and we see that as the glory of God appears in these situations, change takes place. Watch this. John chapter 2. Literally, water is changed into wine at a wedding. It's the first miracle of Jesus, and Jesus does that miracle on purpose for a purpose. What he does with the changing of the miracle of the water in the wine is to say there is a new covenant on the way, boys. The old way is gone, and this new wine represents new things that I'm about to do in your midst. In John chapter 4, there's the story of, a, of an official. Jesus is um, he's going through a town, an official comes and gets his attention and says my son is at home and he's dying and he says if you'll just speak the word he'll be healed we've not seen faith like that in, in scripture yet and John tells us that Jesus speaks the word and at that same hour that official son was healed thus the change is that now the customs have changed because now it's anybody can come and ask Jesus. And, and, and now this, this idea that, well, somebody's got to be there and lay their hands on somebody. He didn't even have to be in the room. Jesus, it's this, kind of, this miracle kind of echoes Matthew 7 when Jesus says, Seek, ask, and knock. And that's exactly what this official did when he came to Jesus. He said, If you'll just speak the word, my son will be healed. And Jesus said, It is so. And he was changed. The customs of the way they believed was changed as a result of healing of the official's son. In John chapter 5, look at this one, the healing of the paralytic. The paralytic's 
position was changed. This paralytic had been sitting by a pool for 38 years stuck. He had excuses why he couldn't get in the water. But Jesus comes along. He has an encounter with the glory of God. He is healed. Jesus says, take your mat and walk. And his position has now changed. In John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples' faith was changed. Jesus has a plan to hand this off to them. And do you think they needed to see a miracle like 5,000 people being fed? They needed that type of miracle to see five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children and then walk away and say, I have seen. What did John say? We have seen seen the glory of God. We saw God do something that within, in, in, in the normal, normal thinking is impossible. And we had 12 basketfuls left over. And what changed for them? Their faith was changed. You don't think those boys walked out of there walking tall, proud, excited. A few days later, the Bible says that they had to feed 4,000. And they're like, well, this ain't a big deal. This is 1,000 less than we had a few days ago. Their faith was transformed. In John chapter 6, the next miracle that John tells us about, Jesus walking on the water. And in this miracle, the disciples' understanding has changed. And boy, this is one of my favorite ones because you talk about an encounter with the glory of God that instantaneously changes your surroundings in this story these fishermen who know the lake, they've been out there many times. There's a storm that has come up, and they're trying to get to the other side, and they're, they're paddling, and they're doing everything they can to get to that place, but they can't make any headway, and they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. And your Bible says in John chapter 6 that when they had an encounter with the glory of God, and Jesus got in their boat, they immediately were at the shore. That's what your Bible says. Read it. It's right there. So their understanding changed to be able to realize that when we try to do things on our own, we just keep going in circles. We don't make any headway. We're fighting against everything around us. But when we let Jesus in the boat, everything changes. Where we've been trying to get when we let Jesus in the boat, now we're there immediately. Just a side note for some of you, you need to let Jesus in the boat. You've been trying, you've been trying to do this thing by yourself too much, and that's why you keep spinning in circles and not making any headway. Get Jesus in the boat, and your understanding, your perspective will change. Amen? You see how all these miracles are a little bit different? John says, we have seen his glory. Now watch this, John chapter 9. This is a story of the healing of the man born blind. This is a story where Jesus picks up some dirt, makes it into mud, puts it on his eyes. He can see, and the obvious is that this man's vision was what changed about him. But even more than that he could see, my favorite part of this story is the line that the, uh, that the writer of Amazing Grace would pull out and put into the song when in that conversation as he's being questioned by the religious leaders, who did this to you? Where did he come from? How did this happen? 
And he looks at him finally exhausted after answering so many questions. And he says, I don't know anything but this. I was blind, but now I see. And John says, we have seen his glory. We saw a man who was blind from birth see his vision was restored. A change took place. Not only was he able to see physically, but spiritually. And then John, we have seen his what? Y'all listening? Is the only one to give us this story. What a story. In John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus. And what does he want us to know here has changed? Y'all, the rules have changed. Pack them up, ball them up, throw them in the trash can because the rules for life and death have now changed because Jesus steps on the scene and said, hey, I allowed it to happen so that my glory would be displayed for all who see. And Jesus steps on the scene and says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Y'all, that's why I can stand on a, on a stage and a platform at a funeral and there'll be a cold, dead body right there. But if it's somebody who knew the Lord, then they are not dead. They are more alive than they've ever been before because of what Jesus spoke in John chapter 11. What has changed? The rules have changed. So John says, we have seen his glory and as a result... Of all that we've experienced, John has a conclusion as he finishes up this, this verse. He says, the glory of the one and only Son. The one and only. The goat. Y'all know about the goat? All the sports people know about the goat. That's a new term. Over the last 10 years, we debated about everything. Goat, the greatest of all time. We love, sports people love to debate the goat. Who's the greatest of all time? This week in sports, something happened that moved an athlete into a position that now they can single-handedly say they are, this person is, the greatest three-point shooter of all time. I know where I'm at. I know we're in South Georgia, and most of y'all don't care anything about basketball, even in basketball season. I get it. But humor me. A boy from Western North Carolina who's shorter than everybody else, skinnier than everybody else, who actually grew up in the church of God, by the way, Stephen Curry is now the all-time leading three-point shot maker in the NBA and he can single-handedly say, I'm the goat, because his numbers are greater than everybody else who's come before him. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, the greatest of all time. He's got the stats to back him up. I just gave you seven from the book of John. John just told seven in his 
in his story, in his gospel. The greatest of all time, the GOAT, the one and only. Here's the thing about this, this perspective. We've obviously taken a different view of Christmas this year around here in, our, in this series. We've not talked about the manger a whole lot. We've not talked about those moments. And, and, and next year, we, you know, we, we, we talk about that. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But I want you to think about something this morning. Generally, our culture embraces the nativity scene, the moment of Jesus' birth. I know there's been a lot of pushback the last 10, 15 years and, and all the stuff with, with taking Christmas out and all that stuff. I, I know we've got that going on. But generally, we, as a culture, we still embrace that. I mean, you've got, you've got secular artists who the way they live their lives and the songs they sing all year long had nothing to do with God or any type of religious at all, but, but they'll put an O Holy Night on their album. You know why? Because talking about a, a newborn baby is comfortable. It's cute. It's warm and fuzzy. I mean, who can't get behind a desperate couple who can't find a place to stay and a mom who's about to have a baby? Every mom in the room immediately identifies with this woman thinking, how in the world would I have handled that? I, had, I, was, you know, I was at the hospital or, or I, had, I had great care, but everybody can get behind a, a father who's trying to take care of his wife born into a, in a stable. I mean, this is cute, beautiful thing and, and, it's, and we'll, we'll come to it even outside of the church and say, let's not forget true meaning of Christmas, the simplicity of Christmas. Let's get back to what it really means. But see, if if all I do is, is just stop there, see, a baby in a manger doesn't ask anything of me. A baby in a manger just says, come by and visit, and hey, that's cool, that's beautiful, what, a, what, a, what an awesome moment. A baby in a manger doesn't say, pick up your cross and follow me and deny yourself. That's why it's so important, and it's impossible, by the way. And it should be impossible for us as Christians to experience Christmas without the cross and the empty tomb. Because it's all one story. The Word became flesh in a baby and dwelled among us and lived among us, and we've seen His glory. See, there wasn't a whole lot of glory in that stable it was stinky it was damp it was messy it was plain and ordinary but the glory came when this man started walking around 30 years later healing the sick feeding 5,000 walking on the water opening deaf eyes raising people from the dead we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son. That's why people can come to a Christmas service every year, once a year, and leave unchanged. Because there's nothing threatening about a little baby. That's why your neighbor, six weeks ago, 
can have a yard full of demonic Halloween decorations and now has a nativity set up. Because it doesn't, the nativity doesn't ask anything of us. We come by and it's sweet and it's pretty, it's warm, it's kind. But that's not the way Jesus lived. See, John's claim here, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, requires us to make a decision. It's evidence that demands a verdict. Either he's the one and only son or he's just another man. But Jesus came, as you give me some music, Jack, Jesus came not just to display his glory, but to change every person who came in contact with him. Every person who comes in contact with Jesus in your Bible leaves different. They are transformed by what God does in their lives. And we've read multiple examples this morning of those changes and the transformation that takes place in their lives. But I want you to see one more time what John tells us as he closes out his book. John 20, verse 30 and 31 Here's his disclaimer at the end. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, what y'all? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And when I believe, it's not just believing. We're beyond believing the story of a baby in a manger. We're believing he's God in a body. He is the word became flesh dwelling among us. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and watch this, and that by believing you may have what? What? Life in his name. Life. Jesus said life and life what? More abundantly. So Jesus comes on the scene and he makes changes everywhere he's at. So here's the thing I want to ask you today as we land this message. What needs to change in your life today at this Christmas? What needs to change in you? Here's the thing I'm learning. The longer I serve the Lord, is there still a lot of changing that has to take place in me? I remember as a young man, as a kid thinking, I'll get to the point and I'll have it. And then I don't have to worry about temptation or sin or frustration or doubts, disappointment. I'll get to that point. At 50, I've learned that's never going to happen. It's kind of like the old Bill Gaither song, He's Still Working On Me. Right? So if you come to that question this morning and say, No, I'm good, then all you're doing is visiting the manger and walking out. You're not carrying a cross. Because when I'm carrying a cross, it means every day there's something that needs to change in me. There's something God's trying to do in me to create me to be more like Him. See, God loves you just the way you are. But He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to stay that way. 
He has come to bring change. So like the examples we shared this morning, what needs to change in your life? Is it your perspective? Is there something in your mind that needs to change? Something in your purpose or your direction that needs to change? Are you, are you rowing like the disciples and you're just rowing and you're, you're giving life all the effort that you can, but you're not making any progress? What needs to change in you is you need to get Jesus in your boat in the morning and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. I preached it last Sunday, not just on Sunday. Everything about this book of John speaks to one word, relationship. And when Jesus gets in the boat, things change. When Jesus gets around blind people, they start seeing. When Jesus gets around paralyzed people who've been paralyzed and can't walk for 38 years, they start walking. When Jesus gets around dead things and dead marriages and dead relationships and dead uh, bank accounts, things come to life. When Jesus gets around sick things, things get well. So what needs to change in your life this Christmas? The same Jesus who made these changes that caused John to say, we have seen his glory, wants to do something in your life today to where you can walk out of here on the other side of this service today and say, I have seen God do something in my life and change something in me. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. The worship team is coming in today. And I want to pray for you this morning. Everybody will bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're just going to take a moment here to respond to what the Lord is saying to us today. Thank you for your attention to the word today. Father, I love you. I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son not for us to just comfortably embrace a manger, but to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you every day. So Jesus, today I know that there are people in this room who need an encounter with the glory of God. They need to make a change. Something needs to change inside of them. And I believe that you've spoken that to them in this room this morning. So, Father, as we begin to pray right now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring conviction for those who need to walk away from sin, from those who are doing things on their own and not letting you in their boat, for those who have brokenness, for those who need healing physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, for those who have dead bank accounts and futures and relationships and marriages, we pray that you would bring things to life today in the name of Jesus. How many people would say, Pastor, there's something you've said today that's spoken to me. Will you pray for me today? There's something in my life that needs to change. Will you raise your hand today? Hands all over this room today. People saying, yep, you're talking to me today. There's something in me that needs to change. You know what that is if you just raise your hand. And I want to pray with you right now. And as I pray with you, will you be bold enough as you stand there and you speak that out to the Lord and say, God, this is what I give to you today. 
And this is what I ask you to change inside of me. Lord, right now you see multiple hands that went up all over this room. People who realize that something needs to change in their lives. And Jesus, we invite you into every situation that you would resurrect dead things. You would come along people who have, who have just, just done their own thing, but they need to invite you back into the picture. Lord, we pray that we would take up our cross and follow you. And Lord, where we need a change in our perspective and in direction and in understanding and in position, Lord, we pray that you would do what your word says, that you may bring life into every one of those situations. We thank you and praise you for that today, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak this word to those as they leave today. God, allow this message to continue to resonate in hearts and minds as we go throughout this week. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more song before we go today. Very intentionally pick this song, and the worship team's going to lead us in this. Because I think this song communicates what John's conclusion was that we've talked about today. We have seen his glory the glory of the what? The one and only Son. This song says, there is a king. So I want us to sing this out today and make this our anthem and declare this worship in this house today before we leave.
In our lives today, in our hearts today, in our worship today, God, we declare that to be so. You, Jesus, are the one and only Son sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us, strengthen us, and walk with us that we can live this out that our lives and our stories will live for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in worship today. I hope to see you back tonight at 6 o'clock for our Christmas night of worship. Have a great afternoon.